0: Episode 14 of We Built This Life is about Heidi Shank, the designer and owner of Indie Stationery brand Row House 14. This is the second episode in a miniseries highlighting a few amazing small businesses located in Baltimore, Maryland. Welcome to We Built This Life. This is the podcast that tells stories about entrepreneurs, freelancers, and other business owners who have built their working lives from that first inkling of an idea into careers that help them make the impact that they want to make on this world. My name is Jennifer Walker. I'm a freelance writer, and I love to hear stories about people who have built careers that are meaningful to them. So on this podcast, you'll hear from people who have done just that. They're going to talk about their path to their current work and the risks they took to build their careers from the ground up. Thank you so much for listening today. Hi there, thanks so much for listening today to We Built This Life. As you heard already, this is the second episode in a mini-series I'm doing highlighting Baltimore small business owners. Today we're going to focus on Heidi Shank, who is the designer and owner behind Row House 14. Now, Row House 14 is an indie stationery brand. Heidi primarily focuses on greeting cards, but she also has notepads and pencils, stationery sets, stickers, t-shirts and prints, all kinds of items that fall under this umbrella of stationery and printing and illustration. Before starting her business, Heidi was a middle school teacher for several years. So in this episode, she is going to talk about her first career as a teacher And what she loved about the job, mainly she enjoyed working with the kids. And then she's going to talk about what eventually made her feel more burnt out in her teaching role. And then how she got into design. She started making illustrations after work when she was teaching as a way to relieve stress. And then opened up a shop on Etsy. And then Heidi's going to talk about her big break. And it was that big break that gave her the push to leave her teaching position and to focus on Row House 14 full time. Heidi will also touch on how she decided on the style for her cards in particular, since she mainly focuses on greeting cards. A lot of them are funny. They have sentiments on them that you can't find anywhere else. And she also takes into account what's going on in the world. So for example, she has several cards now and has for the last couple of holidays that have sentiments that have something to do with social distancing or being home often or just kind of everything we're going through now during this time of COVID. So she'll talk about that and where she gets her inspiration too for her new designs because Heidi releases a new line three times a year. And then of course, like every episode here, she'll talk about the successes, the challenges, and then the advice that Heidi has for other small business owners. I will say that if you are listening and you have a new Etsy store or you're focused on building a business by starting with Etsy, so many people start their small businesses that way, I was counting, and I think, I mean, this is only episode 14, But I think I have had four or five other guests who have been on this show who have started their businesses with Etsy stores. Quite a popular way to get started. And I think this is a really great story to listen to just to hear how Heidi went from that store, that Etsy store on the side when she was working full time in a different career, to where she is now with Row House 14. So before we get started today, I do want to mention that if you missed the first episode in this Baltimore series, episode 13, that episode was with Devon Polium of Tortuga Kombucha. He was a chef for many years. He talks about his career in the culinary arts field and how he was very focused on rising through the ranks quickly and at a young age, and then how he started his kombucha business, which kind of embraces his ideals or the, the lifestyle he is striving for right now and then how he balances running his business while taking care of his very young daughter. So you can go back and listen to that episode. Again, it's the first episode in this series about Baltimore small business owners. Okay, let's get into Heidi Shank's story. (laughs) Heidi Shank's studio for her small business, Row House 14, is in an old mill building in the Woodbury area of Baltimore. It has 20 foot ceilings and big windows and she has organized it into several different areas for all of the facets of her business. So there's a place for all of her product. So mainly her greeting cards, but also the other stationary type items that she makes and sells and stocks. And then there's an area where she focuses on shipping and the space that she has designated for everything related to her wholesale orders. Hearing her describe the layout of her studio really gives a good Feel for where Row House 14 is today and what Heidi has built.
1: So I had a studio in my house, outgrew that space because it was 130 square feet. Was in another studio building in Station North for about a year. And then someone else who I know through the art community was sharing this studio with me when I first moved in. And ultimately she had a baby and wanted to have her studio at home. So I ended up inheriting the entire space. It's a long space, It's a fairly long space with two big windows and tons of natural light throughout. So I have my desk and photography, like product. I do all my product photography. So I have all of that stuff up near the windows for the natural light. I think all artists would relate to that. If they have natural light, they feel like more creative. So I have that up towards the front. With the windows and then the product photography needs the natural light too so that's great and then sort of in the middle of my studio I have another work table that has a couple stools that I utilize for packaging product and then I have another table that has pencils tons and tons of pencils because I print my own foiled press pencils so it has pencil storage underneath and then my foil press on top and then further back When you first walk into my studio, I have four shelves full of product, mostly greeting cards that are in each product or SKU is in its own bin. And I have a larger work table with a shipping station and where I do a lot of packaging and where I do my wholesale orders. I also have a printing press, a tabletop printing press, letterpress, printing press in that area as well that I use less frequently than I used to, just because the volume of cards that I usually sell, I couldn't keep up with some of the letterpress items that I was producing. So a lot of those I don't do anymore, or I outsource with my printer to do letterpress printing, but it's still in my studio. It's been pretty
0: incredible to
1: (laughs) think in that way too, that I ended up here how I am now.
0: So like others who have been on this show in the past, Heidi did not set out to own a business. She went to Syracuse University in New York and she spent six years teaching in Baltimore City Public Schools.
1: I was an English major in college, and so I didn't really know what I was going to do after that, which is very common, I think, for English majors. I was one, too. <laughs> oh, really? Awesome. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Yay. <laughs> so you understand,
0: then. I understand. Yeah, it doesn't give you a clear path to go in.
1: <laughs> yeah, so I was an English major, and did was working at a coffee shop. I was a barista for probably nine years, too, throughout my life, and didn't really know what I was going to do next, and I finished my school in four years. And my husband or boyfriend at the time was an architect student and his program was five years. And so I had a year basically where I was like, what am I going to (laughs) do? I don't know. And so I applied to a teaching fellowship program, both in Philadelphia, as well as in Baltimore, because he was looking for architect positions in those cities, as well as DC, I think. And I ended up getting accepted to the program in Baltimore City, actually before he got a job. So then he was kind of freaking out, like, oh, my God, what am I going to do? You're going to have a job and I'm not going to get a job kind of thing, which was hilarious. But it worked out. And so then I taught for six years in Baltimore City, English, language arts, as well as social studies, because I did have some history and geography background as well from college and taught seventh and eighth graders for six
0: years. So what did you like about teaching and what did you find challenging about it?
1: I loved that every day was different. I thankfully had really amazing administrators. I know that that is not often the case, especially in a city school situation where it's kind of interesting to say the least, but I had really amazing admin support. And so they really gave me autonomy in my classroom. And so every day was different. There were certain things that remain the same every day, but Every day was different. There was a new experience every single day. And just really being able to make lessons creative and interesting and make learning fun for kids. And in general, I loved my students, so they never and never at all moment with them. They were so wonderful. So that was also a lot of fun. Some people don't like teaching them or they like freak out thinking about teaching middle schoolers. But I actually really like that age group. It's because it's such an interesting age. Just so much going on at that age. I think you have to be a little bit crazy, but then also really love on them, too, at that age. And respect them, too. If There's a mutual respect there. They really can admire you in that way. That was kind of my recipe. <laughs> Always keeping them on their toes and being a little bit crazy. Which, I mean, that was probably one of the most challenging aspects, for sure, speaking about challenges. But the biggest thing for me was the bureaucratic stuff, the top-down stuff that just wears you down and burns you out. And that's ultimately why I'm not teaching anymore. It wasn't my students or my admin or my school. It was the paperwork and people telling you what you need to do in your classroom that haven't stepped in the classroom in 20 years kind of thing.
0: The last interview I did with a friend who wanted to be a teacher, she said something similar, like people having ideas of how things should be done in the classroom, but not having been there. Yeah.
1: And the expectations too. There are more and more expectations for teachers every single day. It seems like, especially if you think about now, (laughs) even in current COVID times, I feel thankful that I'm not teaching anymore, especially right now, which probably sounds terrible to say for those who are still struggling because I have friends who still are and I know it's been really hard for them.
0: I think all of us parents who have seen the transition to online education at the time I'm recording this, which is January 2021, are all amazed and grateful for and astounded by teachers who had to learn an entirely new way to teach over these last 10 plus months. So I I do just want to say that, but going back to where Heidi was teaching before COVID, She started at one point working on cards in her free time, almost as a stress reliever or as a counterpoint to her working days when she was teaching. There are many makers in her family and Heidi had always been creative growing up. So she started an Etsy shop for the work that she was making and she made some sales. And then around Valentine's Day in 2012, she got her first big order that required her to balance teaching with this new hobby that was maybe slowly developing into a business. And then just a few months later around Father's Day, she got a big break when a large company wanted to buy her cards.
1: So I've always done creative things or made things. I come from a family of makers. My dad is a luthier. My mom is a black print artist and she owned an artisan bakery for quite a few years. My sister knits (laughs) and that's her business. And I have like extended family as well who are makers. So I've always been involved in doing some kind of making, a lot of illustration early on. And so I started doing illustration as well as kind of paper cut collage type cards for fun, probably 10 years ago, I think. So while I was still teaching and it was just a creative outlet, like I realized I was burning out. And I knew that I had to start doing something creative for myself again because I hadn't been. And if I didn't, then I was just going to totally burn out at that point with teaching. So I was working at night and then I eventually opened an Etsy store because one of my friends was telling me, she was like, I love Etsy. You totally need to open an Etsy shop. People would buy this stuff. So I did. And I was just trying to come up with names for my Etsy shop. And when I first started doing this, everything was done out of kind of a makeshift studio in our guest bedroom at my house, which is Row House with a number 14. (laughs) And we were cooking dinner and my husband was like, what about Row House 14? Because I mean, your studio is literally in Row House 14. (laughs) So that's where the name came from. And some people bought some things. And I'm like, wow, people actually bought these? (laughs) And actually looking back at my old sales from 10 years ago on Etsy, it feels kind of embarrassing, (laughs) some of the stuff that's on there. I'm like, oh my goodness. But people actually bought these things. And at that point, I was kind of like, whoa, this is interesting. And then probably two years into the whole Etsy shop, I designed some Valentine's Day cards. Because I was like, oh, it's almost Valentine's Day. So I'll design some Valentine's Day cards. And there were three. The sentiments on them, they were really simple. They had sentiments in block lettering. And they just started selling like crazy. And the one that sold the most... And I still have a version of this card in my product line. Because it's been redesigned. But it is still the most popular Valentine's Day card I sell. And it said, I am only in this for your cute butt, obviously. Happy Valentine's Day. And it just started selling like crazy. I would go to school and teach for the day and come home and have a hundred orders for this card. And then I would work until two in the morning to print and cut and score every single card by hand, and then ship them out and go to bed at two in the morning wake up early, go to school, teach a whole day, and then do it again. And I did that for like a month,
0: (laughs) probably. Did you feel more burned out by that? Or did you find it kind of revitalizing to be making the cards? It was absolutely exhausting.
1: But I definitely was excited and like, wow, this is crazy. And I think that's ultimately, you know, what kept me going, even though it was absolutely exhausting. And I still think about that, like just talking about it now. I'm like, how did I do that? That was so insane. I even remember like being so exhausted that I would be in the class and students would be asking me questions when they were doing their work. And I would have to literally stop and say, I just need to think about my answer for a moment because I'm so tired. And I think they thought I was nuts. They had no clue that I was doing this on the side. So that's kind of when I realized this could take off. And then, shortly after that, in February, late February, after the Valentine's card thing, I was contacted by Urban Outfitters and they wanted 2,000 of one of my Father's Day cards that I had designed.
0: They found you on Etsy?
1: Yes. And they found me through Etsy and contacted me and they purchased 2,000. And I, again, printed, cut, hand scored, folded all of those. By myself and they were in Urban Outfitters stores all over the country <laughs> at that point I thought okay this could actually be a business if stores want to buy them and not just a single order of a card from somebody on Etsy
0: that is so cool but wow 2,000 of them that must have been a lot of work do you remember what you felt when you found out were you really excited or were you like oh my god how am I going to do this or a little bit of both
1: I was so excited. I was like, wait a minute, what? (laughs) But it was very exciting. And it was an interesting process too. It was definitely a huge learning curve because at that point I hadn't done wholesale yet. And working with a big store like that, they have certain rules about how to package everything and labeling that needs to be on each of the cards and that sort of thing, as well as when they have to receive things by, how you box everything up. So it was a huge learning curve. For me, because I'd never done anything like that. And thankfully, I guess that prepared me for wholesale now, which working with smaller stores is a lot easier than big companies like that.
0: I'm going to ask you more about that. But when you were working with Urban Outfitters, did you have to kind of go back and forth on the design? Did they pick something out from your Etsy site and you just went with that?
1: They just picked out one card that they liked and wanted to know if they could get a sample of it because they were interested in carrying it. And once they got the sample... And reviewed it at their buyer's meeting. They selected that and then went forward with it. And I had a couple smaller orders with them in the year following that too. So it was kind of all in, I guess, <laughs> at
0: that point. So you you got that order and then you started to think that maybe you had a business. What happened from there?
1: I was probably at the point when I got that order where I was starting to think about whether or not I wanted to keep teaching. I was totally exhausted and burned out from that. And my stress level and health was not great from teaching. And so I remember sitting at a restaurant in Hamden with my husband, and he ultimately just asked, do you want to be poor and happy for the rest of your life? Or do you want to be comfortable and miserable? (laughs) Because I knew that if I were to quit my teaching job at that point, it would be a pay cut. And that was okay for me. And I essentially said, yep, I want to be happy.
0: (laughs) You knew like as soon as he asked? Yeah. So this was in early 2013 that Heidi had this conversation with her husband and she finished the school year and then she left teaching in June. So she was officially working full-time on Row House 14 on her business. So she had to adjust to a new work schedule and environment. You know, when she was teaching, obviously, to a certain extent, there are set hours. I know teachers work outside of those set hours when they're with the kids, but the school day starts at a certain time and ends at a certain time. So it has a structure. And if you're used to that structure, working when you have more control of your time or more freedom to dictate when you work or how you use your time can be an adjustment.
1: So I officially started my... Job full time, my business full time in the end of September or maybe early October. After I quit teaching, my husband and I eloped at the courthouse. (laughs) And then we went and traveled for a month in Australia because I hadn't had time off like that in such a long time that I kind of wanted to just do something big, travel somewhere. And I lived in Australia for a while too, so I wanted to go back before just diving in full time. That was kind of my reset. Like, okay, on to the next phase. And then in end of September, 2013 or October, sometime around there, I just dove in and started working. And it was at first I'm like, wow, I'm doing this. You know, I have so much time to like actually do all the things I want to do. This is totally crazy. And then eventually you get to the point where you're like, okay, I probably should figure out a schedule or routine. (laughs) So then I'm kind of like all over the place. You know, another problem is waking up and you're in your leggings and you've had your third cup of coffee and you still haven't taken a shower by two in the (laughs) afternoon, that kind of thing. There is definitely a learning curve with that as well.
0: So let's talk about Heidi's products. Row House 14 sells stationary items, like I mentioned. There are stickers, pencils, notepads, enamel pins, personalized stationery, and then some t-shirts, some tank tops, but the company is primarily known for its greeting cards. Heidi releases a new line of cards a few times a year, and many of them, like I said, are funny. Many of them take note of the times we are in, especially now, and the sentiments that people might want to express as a result of sort of shared circumstances. So just to give another example of one of her cards, Heidi will talk about more of her products in a minute, but she had another holiday card that simply said, Merry Christmas and a healthy new year. But there were little images on the front of the card of masks and alcohol wipes and hand sanitizer. It was really funny, I thought, and taking into account kind of what we're dealing with these days. So with constantly creating new lines of cards, Heidi needs to be thinking quite often of new ideas For each new line of product?
1: Uh, My ideas generally come from everyday situations, inside jokes with friends or sometimes just sitting at the dinner table with my husband and we're talking about something that's kind of hilarious. And he's like, that would be a great card idea. And so then I immediately write it down. I have a notebook that I just put all of my ideas in. Yeah, just everyday experiences, you know, things that everyone has gone through for the most part or can relate to. I try to draw a lot of my sentiments from those sorts of things for the more funny cards in my line.
0: Yeah, do you have a favorite? Oh, that's like trying to pick your favorite child. I know, I know, I had to ask though, just in case. <laughs> your best sellers, what are the customer favorites?
1: So my best sellers right now are the cute butt card that I was talking about, which people are like, your husband must have a really cute butt. <laughs> because of that card, people have actually said that to me. I have another birthday card right now that is a pretty big seller that says you don't look a day over 25, but that Boys to Men album in your basement says otherwise. That one is pretty big. And then there's another one that sells constantly that says, Oh crap, that's a lot of candles. And it has a birthday cake with I don't even know how many candles on it. It's practically in flames. And currently my best sellers are kind of related. <laughs> One of them was created a few years ago, but it's kind of related to our current situation. And it has a dumpster that is on fire and said, here's to hoping this year is less of a dumpster fire than last. And my current bestseller right now, both with direct-to-consumer as well as with my wholesale buyers, is a wedding card that I created recently because of social distancing. And a lot of people you know, are having smaller gatherings or are and that sort of thing. And it, says, it has two champagne glasses on the front, and then says raising a glass and cheersing you from a distance.
0: And that one's been my most recent bestseller. I love that. So you really are kind of taking what's happening, at least this year, with current events and everything, and trying to think about what people need. Yeah, for sure. I have probably like
1: four or five other cards that I designed this year that were directly related to being socially distanced and not being able to see people and not being able to celebrate people in the same way and those have been really popular that's definitely something that I try to think about when I'm designing is what is going on now that people can relate to
0: yeah I like how you bring humor into so many of your cards as well
1: yeah that's really important to me because I love to laugh and I'm generally an optimistic person every now and then you know things happen where you're like, oh, this sucks or whatever. But I'm generally optimistic and I really love laughing and just being lighthearted about things. So that's important to me as well, I guess. And then when I'm designing, I sometimes will just use ink, pen, pen, and ink, and paper and then scan items in and then digitize them. I use iPad and i and Apple Pencil. I've done painting Abstract painting with various types of paint, and then also digitized those images. I've done digital painting. Whatever I'm feeling like, whatever I'm inspired by, ends up usually being the medium that I end up using. I also have a really small foil press, so sometimes I use that, and then other times I also have my printer do foil pressing for me as well. So it's just kind of all over the place, I guess.
0: Yeah. That's cool because I like that you can just you know so many different mediums and you can just go with kind of what you're feeling.
1: I know that a lot of greeting card brands would probably say that you should stick with your style or stick with a certain cohesive look. I think when you look at all of my products together, you can tell that that's Row House 14. But within that, there are a variety of mediums and styles. Recently, the things I've been designing all kind of are around the same color palette, which comes from a bunch of envelopes that I recently purchased to pair with cards that are bright and bold colors that I really, really liked. And so I've drawn inspiration from those. So it, it could just be anything in that regard.
0: So kind of on the flip side of this, of Heidi having these notebooks with all of these ideas, is that coming up with those ideas and having fresh cards that are maybe communicating the same sentiment but in a different way might just be her biggest challenge?
1: Probably one of the most challenging parts, but it's a good challenge, is constantly having something new. In this industry, people want new things because while there are some cards that will just sell over and over again, and they've been in my product line for years, there are others that It's like they'll come and go. And then if they keep buying them and they keep sitting on the shelves, people are eventually like, oh, I already purchased that. So like returning customers are looking for new things. So constantly having a new product line is super challenging. And the biggest part of that challenge is because creativity only comes naturally to me when it comes. And sometimes I find myself having to put out a new 15 cards in a line along with a few other products a couple times a year. And I need to fill X number of empty spots in my line that I've you know discontinued product from. And it's like, wow, I have two weeks to get this done and I have no clue. <laughs> and you just get writer's block or whatever design that you're trying to create doesn't turn out the way that you want it to. And then there are other times when it's totally the opposite where you have tons of ideas and so you just start working and that leads to one, to the next, to the next. So it can go both ways, but if you're in a period of time where there's that pressure to make sure that you have a new release or a new product for your retailers to keep them interested, it can be like really stressful and very challenging in that regard. If I have a set idea of what I want to do, sometimes that can really push me into like finishing something on a very limited time frame. But if I'm going through one of those periods where I'm having like writer's block, it's so, so tough. That can be really tough. I can see that. How
0: often do you change your line?
1: Do you follow like a holiday schedule? I try to release new product probably three times a year. So I usually release holiday items and such in August. September, which sounds crazy, but that's the retail schedule. I will do a second smaller release, usually around the beginning of the year, which this month is going to be a huge crunch to design new products, both for Valentine's and Mother's and Father's Day, as well as graduation. So, again, looking several months out. And then I often do another release in the summer that's kind of just a general birthday cards every day kind of stuff.
0: Have you found that anything helps when you have a deadline or when you feel that pressure to create?
1: I guess I go back to my idea book and then I just start writing down any idea, even if it seems totally stupid. (laughs) And I'm like, that would never sell. I write it down anyways, because maybe it might at least jog something else.
0: I didn't tell Heidi this when we were talking, but this is how I start every writing project I have. I'll throw a quote from an interview on a blank page or just try to write some kind of crappy sentence just so I have some words to work with and a place to start. So I definitely identify with that. So Heidi is creating new products three times a year, and now today she's selling those products basically through three avenues. She has her website where people can purchase directly from her and pick up orders at her studio if you're local to Baltimore or have them shipped wherever you are. And then she also still has an Etsy page and then she works with wholesalers. So working with Urban Outfitters was her first introduction to working with wholesalers or retailers and then at the time that we talked which was in early December. Heidi's cards were available at 90 to 95 retailers, mostly smaller locations. So she has worked to create those connections in several ways, from using social media to just walking by a store and then reaching out if she thinks they're a good fit. There are wholesale
1: platforms that I utilize that are kind of like Etsy, but for wholesale, where people can find all sorts of brands, including mine. I do a lot of outreach, personal outreach, so I find stores through various methods either when I'm traveling and I stumble upon a store that I think would be a really great fit or Instagram you can kind of follow along and see how stores are doing or what they're like and what their clientele are like I use those and then I do outreach to them send them a catalog or an email and sometimes they don't respond At all and you're like oh god I'm sending my third email to this person (laughs) and they're probably like who is this (laughs) they're really annoying right now but then on the other hand you have people who will immediately respond and say I love what you have to offer I'd love to carry your products and then place an order it's hard to not take it personally (laughs) when you don't get a response but you have to kind of brush that aside Sometimes. And then also I just have people who will contact me out of the blue who are interested in selling my products and they found me one way or the other.
0: I agree with that. I've been a freelance writer for a long time and you'll send story ideas a lot. Earlier in my career, I used to send story ideas out a lot and a lot of times people don't respond. And it is hard not to take it personally, but I think it's important to remember that somebody eventually will. (laughs) It's almost like a numbers game.
1: Yeah, for sure. Like it's definitely more crickets, then there are more crickets (laughs) than like, yes, let's carry your product. And that's okay, because it's probably that way for most people. The freelance writing, or even people with submitting manuscripts and stuff like that, that's such a good analogy.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it's I guess it's a similar experience for a lot of people, no matter what your business is, when you're trying to find clients and people to work with. Oh, yeah. So you're off of Etsy, right? You're just on you're on your own site? I am on Etsy still,
1: but I'm also on my own website. Yeah. And I definitely push people to use my website if they're going to purchase from me because Etsy is a really great tool. And I am glad that I have Etsy because I still sell a lot on Etsy. And it definitely helped me jump to the full time gig. But they're like all those other (laughs) sites, you know, that they charge fees for listing products and stuff like that. So I think it's a really great tool to use as a launching pad. And at a certain point, I moved towards my own website. Actually, it's been doing really well. It was a slow start at first, but it has been taking off in the last year, even. What do you think has been the change? Um, I This year, I, <laughs> I think a lot of people have... It's been such an unpredictable year. <laughs> but this year, I think a lot of people are finally realizing that they need to support local businesses And so people are seeking me out in that way when they would often find me at markets or Artscape, that sort of thing, knowing I would be there and they couldn't do that this year. And so now I've had people purchase on my website and they're like, oh, I usually buy from you at Artscape and I can't do that. So I'm buying from you now. And in general, that kind of helps with overall SEO to have more interaction with your website. And just working on the the behind-the-scenes kind of aspects of that to make your website show up in Google rankings and that kind of thing. So I think over time, just fine-tuning that and getting to a point where it becomes easier to be found, I think it's kind of a perfect storm of
0: (laughs) those things. That's interesting, too, that you mentioned kind of the shift in consumer thinking. Yeah. That you think people are thinking about small businesses more.
1: Yes, definitely. Definitely. I hope
0: it continues, too. <laughs> so now, Heidi has been working full-time on Row House 14 for almost eight years. And if she would have done anything differently, and what she says is similar to what Ashley Becker from episode 10 of, of this podcast had said, is that she would have looked for support from other people who were doing the same thing as her sooner. And then what makes her most proud is that she's doing this. She's running her own business.
1: If I were to have started this in a different way, I probably would have looked for help or resources within the industry sooner than I did. There were so many hours that I spent Googling things and figuring things out on my own. Only later to realize that there are people out there that could have helped me. (laughs) <laughs> and made that go a lot more seamlessly and not quite as you know difficult. Something as simple as packaging supplies, for example, where you spend so many hours trying to find the smallest price point for something that you need to have your profit margin be as high as possible. I now have a fairly large community of people in the industry, stationary industry, who kind of help each other and I can feel comfortable asking them. So I guess finding those types of people and surrounding yourself with a community in that regard is really important to me and helpful, especially in an industry that people will ask, oh, you make cards for a living? That's not mainstream or whatever. It's not something that's your common occupation. So finding that sort of community is super important.
0: What do you find that the small business community in Baltimore is like?
1: It's super supportive super supportive. Everyone is kind of rooting for each other and working together and helping each other. And you make a lot of connections, especially with markets and that sort of thing. And then also on the wholesale retailer side of things too. So many people in Baltimore who carry my products in their stores, I like to drop off their orders because it gives me a chance to talk to them and find out how they're doing and build relationships in that way. That I think is super important with, the small business community. And not just probably in Baltimore, but everywhere. It it would be the same kind of scenario.
0: Okay. That makes sense. What about the things you're most proud of?
1: I'm probably most proud of just doing this on my own. (laughs) (laughs) That's a big one for sure. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I don't think I ever expected to have this as my job or to be doing this on a daily basis. I didn't really... Plan on this. I don't know if I'll end up doing it my entire life either, but I didn't really have a plan in terms of a career or anything. And so it's kind of crazy that this is my full time job based on feeling completely burned out in a classroom and ultimately just needing something creative to do. And I actually love that. (laughs) I love being able to choose my own schedule, decide what I want to do creatively, and having complete control over that. And I guess that's what I'm most proud of, just building this as my own thing. It's kind of like my own little world and bubble. <laughs> my sister and I, because she, she's also a maker and that's her business, but we talk about this a lot, that I think that there are certain expectations for what people have or what they think a business is supposed to look like. And I don't think I have the same idea as what a lot of people do. My essential idea of running my business is to be doing something on a daily basis that I love to do and that I'm happy doing. And of course, you want to profit and that sort of thing. But that isn't my primary focus, even though sales are important, obviously, for, you know, living. That's just not my primary focus. And I think that if it were, this wouldn't be
0: as fun as it is. So I love that, that last thing that Heidi said, that this wouldn't be as fun as it is, her work. I wish more people, or as many people as possible, could think this way about their work, That it is something that they're having fun with. It's never always like that, it's work, it's never always fun, but if you can find aspects of it that are fun, then that's amazing. In my work as a freelance writer, the part I think is the most fun is when I have all the words down on the page, which is my least favorite part, staring at the blank page and having to get something on it. But once I have all the words down and I'm just reading what I wrote over and over and over and editing along the way, I think that's fun. That's my favorite part, that is my zone. So I challenge you today, if you're listening, to think about the work you do and whether there's an aspect of it that you enjoy or that you find fun. I hope there is. I would think for most of us, there's something, right? So of course, you're going to walk away from these episodes or any podcast that you listen to with your own takeaways and in particular today from Heidi Shank's story. But I also would like to kind of leave you with what has stuck out to me from this episode and just working on it for the last couple of weeks. What I keep coming back to, what I keep thinking about is this moment that Heidi had with her husband where he asked her basically what was important to her in that moment, which is important because things change. But in that moment when they were talking, did she want less money and to feel more happy or did she want to be more financially comfortable but not as happy? And she just knew right away that she wanted to be happy and that her work with Row House 14 is what would make her happy. And I'm not saying that everyone has to have the same answer to this question, I think I've talked about this before, or that even the choices have to be the same as Heidi's choices, but one of the biggest lessons I've learned from talking to people in this show is that you have to decide what is most important to you and that will help dictate what your work looks like. It seems like such an obvious thing as I'm sitting here saying it, but this is not something I did when I was younger and I wish I had. So if money is the most important thing, if that makes you happy, and I, I don't mean money to live, which everyone needs that, but money for comfort, if that's important, which is completely fine, then you'll choose a totally different direction to go in with your work than if, like Heidi, you decide that something else is the most important thing to you. So maybe the takeaway for you, if you're listening today and you're at a crossroads with your work, is to ask yourself what your choices are, whether they're similar to Heidi's choices, whether they're different, and, then ask yourself what your answer is. What is most important to you? It's really just figuring out your priorities, right? And then you can see how to go forward from there. So I really, really wanna thank Heidi Schenk from Row House 14 for talking with me for this episode. I so enjoyed hearing her story. She has a new small line of Valentine's Day cards that are out now. They're themed towards couples being together constantly in this time of everyone working from home and being home. My favorite one, and I think the one that most applies to my own situation, I guess, says, hot dinner date in the time of COVID. And there's images of a takeout container and a box of wine. So that just gives kind of a flavor for her cards and what you're going to see in her store. Please go over to her site, which will be linked in the show notes to check out all of Heidi's work at Row House 14 because it's amazing. So there will be at least one more episode about Baltimore small businesses, maybe another. But right now I have one more episode recorded. The next one will feature Maura and Henry from Zoe & Co. Candle Company. These candles are beautiful. They're hand-poured soy candles, and although I'm going to do everything I can to get this episode together before Valentine's Day, in case I don't make it, I would highly recommend checking out their site now if you're thinking about candles for the next holiday. They have so many lovely-sounding combinations of scents. I'll link them in the show notes as well so you can go check out their site. I thank you so, so much for listening today. Thank you for being here, and I will see you again soon. Thank you for listening today to We Built This Life. If you enjoyed the show or if you have constructive feedback, I would love it if you would leave a review on your favorite podcast player. You can also come say hi on Instagram. I'm at We Built This Life. And if you'd like to be a guest on the show, please get in touch. I would love to hear from you. Have an amazing day and I'll see you soon.